Well, good morning, Gospel Hope. And as you heard me mention earlier, we are continuing in our series entitled True Treasure. This is just the third message in that. And if you're just now joining in with us, what we're doing is taking some time to look at the parables of Jesus found in the book of Luke and how they uniquely inform us of the, this interesting dynamic between faith and finances, between truth and treasure, between trusting God fully and trusting other things that, uh, the other trappings of life, and just that unique tension that Jesus creates. But in all of it, we wanna be people whose hearts are trained to truly treasure what God treasures. And so uh, today we are taking a look at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. But before I get started, I'm going to pray for us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm thankful to you for every opportunity to share your word. Would you let your spirit fall on me, Lord God, for the uh, appropriate preaching of your word? Let your spirit fall on your people, Lord God, and all who would hear, uh, regardless of how far or near we might be from you spiritually, that you would chisel and break through any stoniness in our hearts, O oh God, that you would pull down any barriers to uh, unbelief or barriers to belief, uh, and that you, Lord God, would encourage us to action in areas of inaction. But in all things, allow us to see doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that we may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Uh, and this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, again, looking at one of Jesus's parables that many of us probably know as the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I want to read that for us, and then we're going to set up today's message and uh, continue to just plow forward uh, again in this series entitled True Treasure. So if you got your Bibles, go ahead and look with me in them to the book of Luke and Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37 read as follows. Uh, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law, and how do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live." But the man desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And it's immediately after asking that question, who is my neighbor from a motive to justify himself that Jesus then provides us with this really interesting and unique parable of the good Samaritan. Now, why do I say that this parable is unique? Well, this parable is unique because it takes on a frame or a format that uh, you know, is kind of interesting to me. Number one, many times when Jesus offers up a parable, it requires some sanctified imagination, if you will. Jesus will say things like, well, you know, uh, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And then he tells a story about how it grows. Or he'll say like the kingdom of God is like a, you know, leaven and a lump. And you're like, okay, let me think about that. Or he'll say, tell a story like, um, I am the true vine. My father is the farmer and you, you know, are the branches and you'll have to kind of get in that mode. Uh, or he'll tell like a parable of uh, different types of soil. You know what I'm talking about. And he'll say, well, hey, a sower went out and sowed seed and then a bird came and stole it. And then weeds cropped up and choked it. And then another type of soil had really good, really good produce. And Jesus would have to take his disciples aside and explain to them, give them this private interpretation of the parable because sometimes the stories of Jesus were not really plain and evident right on the surface as to what they meant. But this particular story is different. 
You see, the reason it is different is because it tells the story of a man traveling on the road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And during the time of his travels, he fell among robbers. And the Bible says that when he fell among robbers, that he was stripped beaten, robbed, left naked, and half dead on the side of the road. And Jesus goes on to say, uh, there was a man who was a priest who came walking by, and when he saw this man laying on the side of the road, he just went to the other side and didn't even bother to help him. Jesus says there was another man, a Levite, that comes by, and he sees it and does the same thing, looks the other way or moves to the other side of the road and keeps going. But a Samaritan comes by and he shows the man compassion and helps him, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, and the story goes on from there. Jesus tells a story about a man being robbed on his journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, and it would have really landed hard and really hit home for Jesus' audience. Why? Because historically, people were being robbed on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was a real-time issue, likely being discussed in homes all over the, the place. Many families were probably concerned about taking back roads or other roads or different ways in the movement from Jerusalem to Jericho because real robberies were taking place. I believe that Jesus tells this story and couches this parable in some real-time scenarios because he wants to help his listening audience really be able to put the rubber to the road, or as I like to call it, the sandals to the sand, when it comes to this application of what does it mean to love one's neighbor as oneself. Now, don't forget that early in the story, the Bible introduces us to a lawyer who stood up in the crowd. All of the character profiles in this particular story are of optimal importance to fully understanding the parable. Now remember, there are four or five character profiles. There is the lawyer who asked the question, the priest who was part of the parable, a Levite who was part of the parable, an unknown, nameless, faceless man who was robbed on the road uh, headed to Jericho, and then of course there is the Good Samaritan. All of these identities matter and have great meaning for us in defining and understanding who our neighbor is. Now, I want you to pay also attention to what the scripture said here. Uh, as this lawyer stood up and asked Jesus this question, he sought to justify himself and therefore ask, who is my neighbor? This is an important thing to note because for a person to ask Jesus publicly, what does the law say concerning this or that means that that person automatically believes they have the right answer and they simply are seeking justification in the eyes of their peers. And so Jesus takes what is uh, intended to be a test of his knowledge of the law and turns and makes it a test for us. And this is the title of today's message, The Treasure Test the treasure test. I believe in today's message, we're gonna see four very dynamic treasure tests. And depending on how we answer these questions or how we respond to these various scenarios, we will come up with four primary tests that will tell us exactly what we treasure. So follow along as we look in God's word and understand uh, the treasure test. You ready? All right, so after the lawyer asked this question, I want you to take note of Jesus's response. And again, you've heard me mention the mindset behind the lawyer's question. Uh, the lawyer 
ought not to be understood like a lawyer in our day. Uh, uh, this is not during a time of the separation of church and state. Today, when we think about a lawyer, you think about a practitioner of the law, right? Uh, an interpreter of the Constitution. And then when you think about maybe a theologian, you think about someone else like me or Ryan who has another career path, having gone to seminary and all those things. But in Jesus's day, a lawyer would have been a person who was an expert at interpreting the Mosaic law. So a lawyer and a, a, a theologian, if you will, he was a person who was well versed in Israel's constitution, which would have been their Torah. I want you to think about it, how significant this would have been for a lawyer to ask Jesus this question. Again, here's a person who would have maybe had the contemporary equivalent of a, of a doctorate in theology, a doctorate in Jewish history, as well as a doctorate in Hebrew, right? And so this is a smart guy who knows exactly what he's asking and exactly what he's doing. And the scriptures tell us that he asked his question when he stood up to test Jesus, to test Jesus. And his question was, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Now, after he asked that question, Jesus knew that this man had been reading his word. He understood the Torah and that he knew the law because Jesus said, what does the law say? And how do you read it? Those are two very important questions. What is written in the law and how do you read it? In other words, what does the law say and how do you understand it? And the man responded accurately by saying to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, all right then, well, you got it, buddy. But what the parable goes on to tell us is this, that while this man was very much living in the book, the book may not have been living in him. And this is really the character profile of the lawyer, and it could be the character profile for many of us. Again, are you the kind of person that knows the Bible back and forward? You live in the book, but maybe the book's not living in you. You see, this man obviously knew the Bible, but if the living word of God had been living in him, he would have undoubtedly known exactly who his neighbor was and he would have not been there to test Jesus. I think it's very important to note that this is a popular profile that we could many uh, of ourselves find ourselves walking in is that of a person, again, who is very astute in the word, but are we are really astute in applying the word. And so, uh, again, he lives in the book, but is the book living in him? James has something to say about this. And James chapter one, verse, uh, verses 22 through 27. Listen to this. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. But if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks uh, intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. This is important. But to the one who looks in the perfect law of liberty and he looks in that perfect law and he perseveres, being not just a hearer, not being uh, forgetful, but he's also a doer uh, in, in acts. He will be blessed in his doing. And then we skip down to verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, God the Father is to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. No doubt that Jesus told this parable because the lawyer who asked the question as to who his neighbor was really was somewhat and must have been negligent in defining effectively who his neighbor is. But when we look at this, we notice that from the book of James, we are cautioned not to be like the neighbor. This isn't the kind of treasure that we want to have. We want to treasure something other than what the neighbor treasured, uh, excuse me, what the, the lawyer treasured. Look at this carefully. 
In James chapter 1, verse 22, uh, and, and those verses that are following that I just read, uh, uh, we are cautioned to be uh, not just a hearer, but also a doer. Be a hearer and a doer. Not just to be astute in the, the every jot and tittle of the word, but to move from understanding the deep precepts of the word to actually applying the word. We are told not only by James that we should move from uh, being hearers only to being hearers and doers, but he also says, listen, when you look into the window of the mirror of God's word, understand this, it is a window and a mirror. When you look at it, don't forget what your face looks like when you go out into the world. When you get ready to look into God's word and to go out and practice religion, make sure you understand one, you have seen yourself clearly in that word because how you see yourself has a dynamic impact on how you choose to serve others. So don't look into the mirror of God's word and forget what you look like when you look at this perfect law of liberty. The Bible goes on to tell us that if you really want to practice good religion, if you've been in the book and you know that the book is in you, you not only will be a hearer and a doer, you not only will see the word of God as a mirror and a window where you can see your world properly and see yourself properly, but you will also practice religion that looks in to not only be holy, but to also be helpful. Look at it this carefully one more time. He says, listen, this is good religion. It is to be pure and undefiled before God. Yes, to pursue holiness, but at the same time to visit orphans, widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So good religion is not only the pursuit of personal holiness, but also a pursuit to be involved in the lives of those who are helpless. That's clearly defined by James. And I believe it is further unpacked by Jesus as he gives us this parable about the good Samaritan helping a man found half beaten and half dead on the side of the road. And so we don't want to adopt the lawyer profile because while it's a good profile, it's an incomplete profile. It is one who is in the book, but the book or God's word is not fully functional yet in him. I want you to see not only a proper look into the law of the Lord will give us a clear glimpse of ourselves. We see ourselves clearly. We see ourselves in our depravity, but we also come to note something else. The Samaritan in the passage in the great compassion that he shows for the man who's on the side of the road is really uh, symbolic or at least points us to a, one of the same characteristics that we see in the Savior. Take a look at Romans chapter five, verses six through eight. Um, it says here, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, we at one point in our lives were the helpless, half beaten, dead man on the side of the road. And Jesus Christ dared to die for us while we were yet helpless of ourselves. And that's one of the first tests of one of the first treasure tests. Do we dare to go out of our way to have compassion on the fallen? The first treasure test of four is this. Do we go out of our way to have compassion on the fallen? That's what the Samaritan did. If you look down there in verse um, uh, 33, he saw the man on the way and he had compassion and he went over to help him. Do we dare go out of our way to have compassion? Do we dare inconvenience ourselves for those who are helpless, who are hopeless, who are around us that need something from us? Do we dare just walk past them or do we dare go over to them? You understand what a risky proposition this might have been? 
I can understand why some may not have felt compelled to, to go over to see what was wrong with this man and, and the priest, right? I mean, so, so, you know, you look at the life of the priest. A priest is a professional intercessor. You know, in, in verse 31, it says there just so happened to be a priest. And these profiles are so important. So you got a lawyer who is super astute in the law of God. Now you have a priest who is essentially a, a super astute in the holiness of God or in the habits of the temple. I want you to consider for a moment the job description of a priest. A priest by description is commissioned by God to intercede for his people, to represent the issues of the people before God. He is is their mediator. He is their liaison. He is the one who conducts the temple rites on their behalf. He sees the sin and the brokenness of the people of Israel and presents them, uh, presents for them sacrifices on their behalf before God. That's what the priest does. He is a professional intercessor. But this priest moves to the other side of the road when he sees a man who has fallen in harm's way. So he is, he is one who is called to intercede for the people, but he somehow doesn't sympathize with their need. But this is not the story of Jesus. Consider then the ethics of Jesus in the gospel in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since we then have a great high priest who have passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Some of your Bibles will say tested as we have been, yet he is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to find help in the time of need. The priest here, again, a person whose job description is to intercede for the people, doesn't sympathize with the need of a man who has fallen down. But this is not the work ethic of the gospel. This is not the, the, the way Christ has moved toward us. You see, when we look at the scriptures, Christ tell us that Jesus had sympathy on those of us who are fallen down, not just empathy. He doesn't look at us from afar and see our detestable condition laying down and falling down, uh, walking in our trespasses and sin, unable to help ourselves, unable to get ourselves up. The total, complete, depraved victims of the devil who have been stole, who have, you know, who comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. Right. And this is all that has been, been happening to this man. He is completely stripped of his self-sufficiency and his ability to help himself. And the priest goes to the other side, even though he is called to intercede for God's people. Let us be people who work out of the same energy and compassion that the Savior did. Who, right, we have, who we have as a high priest who is sympathetic toward our woes, sympathetic toward our issues, sympathetic to our woundedness, because he has been tempted in all points as we are, tested in all points as we are, and yet without sin. Follow me carefully and why this matters to us when it comes to testing our treasure. It's this, we ought to be people who are moved by sympathy, not just empathy, not just feeling for people, but feeling with them. Uh, my past test, there it, is, it says that Jesus is able to be sympathetic to our issues and our woundedness and our fallenness. He's able to be sympathetic, not because he himself is a sinner, but because he has been tested in all points as we are, but yet he passed. I want to say this to you. When we find people in our lives who have fallen down in some kind of way, we ought to be able to identify with them if Jesus can. If Jesus, who is perfect and unflawed, unmarred, without sin and tested in all points, if Jesus can identify, surely we ought to be because we've been tested too and failed. 
But if Jesus in his perfection can identify, we ought to be able to too. We should be sympathetic to the wounds of people that we find in our lives. And so, you know, if I have a, if I've, if I've had a past test, then that past test calls me to be a tutor for someone else who I might find in a similar situation. A past test. That is, if, if at a past point in my life, the Lord tested me in a certain way and I pass that test, then I'm officially called to be a tutor in the lives of someone else who might be tormented or tempted by the same thing. Now, if I fail that test, guess what? I still have a call to at least show grace and mercy, to, to, to not be the first one to cast a stone, to look at the lives of people that have been broken and beat up. I got two responses when I find wounded people, to either be a tutor because I passed the test or to be an escort of grace and to be an encourager because I failed that test too. But this is what God has called us to be as people moved by compassion and to be sympathetic to the needs of others around us. Well, a proper look in God's word will also give me a proper look at my own woundedness and will call me to get my hands dirty in the lives of others some kind of way. Again, either as a tutor or either as a caretaker, one that would help to show people grace. When we look at the great Samaritan, he, the Bible says that he not only went over to the man and showed compassion, but it says that in verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on them oil and wine. This is the ethic of one who treasures his neighbor. This is the ethic of Jesus, but it's also the ethic of the good Samaritan. And it should also be the work ethic of us who are gospel people. We should be caring for the wounds of others even if that caring comes at our own peril or risk. Now, let me pause there for a moment. I want you to consider for a moment that as the, as the priest walks by, you might be able to give him a hall pass for a moment and say, well, you know, if this road is notorious for people walking along it and, and getting robbed on the way to Jericho, I mean, who wants to, you know, see a man laying down there and the, the priest goes, ooh, you know, I might, I, he might be dead. I'm not supposed to be near a dead body. You know, I'm a, I'm a holy person. I practice the, you know, the rituals of the, of the temple. Or perhaps you want to give the, the, the priest or the holy man, you want to give him a hall pass because, you know, perhaps he's like, well, if he stops, he could get robbed too. The, you know, the villains could be, the robbers could be lying in wait. But people who treasure their neighbor, people who treasure other people, people who have compassion will, 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 will sometimes put themselves and many times put themselves in harm's way. I'm not saying live life with reckless abandon, but I will say this, that the Lord Jesus Christ put himself in harm's way to care for our wounds. According to Isaiah chapter 53, verse five, listen to this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we were healed. Jesus cared for us enough to come out of his way. He dared to go out of his way. He cared to come and take care of our wounds, even though those wounds were not only inconvenient for him to address, right? but it was also potentially dangerous for him. It was dangerous. Jesus gave up his life. And, and I believe that the scriptures are screaming at us that, that we ought to be willing for those that we care about, if we're going to care for their wounds, we may recognize that we have to get our hands dirty and we may in the process get wounded too. And we can't be afraid of that. We can't let the fear of being wounded cause us to ignore the others around us who need our help because they have been wounded. The Good Samaritan is giving us some great content. But not only do we see the lawyer who is in the word, but perhaps the word ain't really working or fully living in him. 
Not only do we see the priest who intercedes for the people, but doesn't necessarily sympathize for all of the people's needs, or he's not sympathetic with this particular man's need who has fallen down. But then we see a Levite. According to the scriptures here, it says that um, at the same man who's going down, uh, that, that, uh, that by chance a priest came by and he's going and, uh, and he came to the place and saw him and he passed by on the other side. Then it says, likewise, a Levite, when he came uh, to this place, saw him and he also passed by. Now, what's interesting is that all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. Uh, so uh, the priesthood came out of the Levitical uh, uh, tribe. And uh, what's interesting about the Levites is that, you know, they've got this incredibly robust legacy of holiness. I mean, they've got a book named after them, like Leviticus, right? If you've been following along the Bible reading plan, you've probably been listening to the book of, or reading to, you know, the book of Leviticus, and you're seeing all these standards for holiness and how one has to approach God. Like, the Levitical priesthood was a serious deal, and the Levitical tribe, their inheritance was to just to be kind of keepers of the temple and that temple process. And so the Levites were people who were heavily steeped in what it meant to be holy. As a matter of fact, I would call the Levites kind of like the, the um, uh, you know, if, 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 if Tom Brady was the Messiah, I would say that the Levites was the offensive line. I mean, these are the, this is the vanguard of all that is holy and sacred in Israel. And, 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 and here they are, people who are vigilant defenders of holiness, but negligent in helping others. He walks to the other side, diligent in holiness, but, but negligent in helping others reach a place of wholeness. We don't want this to be us. Take a look at Mark chapter two, verses uh, 16 and 17. As the scribes and the Pharisees who saw um, that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinner. You see, it is Jesus who doesn't mind getting his hands dirty and stepping into the lives of those who are hurting. But again, the vigilant Levites, vigilant defenders of the holiness, but negligent when it comes to helping others reach wholeness themselves. I want you to pay closer attention to the story. Uh, now look at the parable. It says, likewise, when the Levi went by in verse 32, he came to the place and he saw him and he passed on the other side. But the Samaritan, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And then he says, then it says, and he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. I want you to notice two things that this, 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 this Samaritan not only put him on his own animal, but he also put up his own money. He says later in the text there in verse 35, and the next day that he took out two denarii and he gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever he has need of, or, uh, you, you go ahead and spend and then I'll repay it when I return. What's an interesting and beautiful example about what the Samaritan is doing here is that he is taking this man's issue into his own life. He is effectively saying, I'm going to let this wounded man ride on my own animal. I'm not just going to bandage him and abandon him on the side of the road. 
He says, I'm going to put I'm, I'm going to put up my own denarii, which is like, you know, two days wages uh, for a worker. So I'm not just going to drop him off at the ER and drive away. But he actually stays there and helps to take care of the man. And then he leaves funds behind to make sure that he can be further taken care of. This is a beautiful thing to to see what he's doing. So a proper look at my fellow man's peril will say, if I don't do it, then who will? A proper look at another man's peril says, if I don't do it, then who will? Now, this is not an unfair call that Jesus would have on our life to be a good Samaritan because we also see how Jesus himself shares what is rightfully his as if it was ours. The good Samaritan, again, shares what is rightfully his as if it was ours. The Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have a righteousness of our own, according to the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter three, verses nine and ten. It says this. And he found him not having a righteousness of my own and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own comes, which comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ. Then the righteousness of God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings become like him in his death. The scriptures remind us over and over again that we don't have our own wherewithal. We don't have our own resources. We don't have enough righteousness to please God. And what's awesome about this is that the, the good Samaritan recognizes that this fallen, broken, wounded, half dead man is not able to take care of himself, but not only bandages his wounds, but he also, but he also takes out of his own animal, out of his own time, out of his own resources to help this man to recover. Finally, we arrive at the last of the character profiles, and that is of the Good Samaritan. We've woven his story in and out of looking at the lawyer, looking at the priest, looking at the Levite, but now we arrive looking squarely at the actions of the Samaritan. And while you've seen or heard most of the actions that the Samaritan, the Good Samaritan has taken, I want to raise your attention to just one more. You see, I believe when we look at the life of the Good Samaritan, who not only put up his own money, took care of the man, took him to an inn, but he also did something else. He said to the innkeeper, whatever this man needs while I'm gone, you go ahead and spend that. And then I'll, I'll, I'll cover the costs when I return, put it on my account. I believe that the Good Samaritan reveals for us this, that real compassion is more than a momentary action. Real compassion is more than a momentary action. It is something that calls us to have enduring reach into the lives of those who we treasure, those who we view as our neighbor, those who, who we want to see be brought to a point of wholeness. And, and, and look at how Jesus does it. The Bible tells us that Jesus didn't just save and then ascend and then vanish and we just waiting for him in the meantime. The Bible says that he did something else. It says that in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 through 14, in him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. In other words, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment. Jesus leaves something behind that says, this ought to hold them down. This ought to make them whole. This should take care of them while I'm away. And if there's anything else that they need, my account should cover it fully, but I will return and take care of business in totality. This is the ethic of Jesus in the gospel. And it shows just how much he treasures those who are his own. 
I believe when we look at the life of the Good Samaritan, not only do we see one who, here's the test, who dares to go out of his way to show compassion, who cares for, uh, for uh, the fallen person's wounds, who shares what is rightfully out of his own treasures and recesses, but he also bears the burdens of others. He bears the burden. He takes on, he takes on this man's injuries and his issues as if they were his own. This is the ethic of a man who truly treasures his neighbor, who treasures his fellow man as he would himself. My neighbor, I want you to notice this, the Samaritan in the eyes of Jewish people, the lawyer, the Levite and the priest is a theological mongrel, a cultural outsider, a person who does not belong to the commonwealth of Israel, a person who has no, who has no clear theological claim and has no claim on any property left to God's people. The, the Samaritan is a proverbial outsider to them in many ways. And the Bible doesn't tell us the cultural or theological situation of the man who was fallen and robbed and beaten. But it probably, if you look at the nature and the tone of the text, the man's identity is probably someone that would be considered a natural neighbor or a brother to the lawyer, the priest and the Levite, or else those identities really wouldn't matter that much. But nonetheless, the least likely candidate to come and care for this man, he is not his, the Bible doesn't tell us whether or not the man laying on the ground is the Samaritan's cultural counterpart, his theological counterpart, or, or his tribal buddy, or, or anything of that nature. But we we do know this. We do know this, that both the lawyer, the priest and the Levite failed the treasure test. Now, I'll be honest with you, as you listen to this, you may be saying to yourself, well, who is my neighbor? Well, guess what? Your neighbor may not be your professional peer, may not be your theological peer, may not even be your cultural peer. But your neighbor is always going to be a, someone who God has providentially made near to you. Your neighbor will be a person who is in your path. And you know what? We will, we will be tested to see how much we treasure our fellow man and whether or not we treasure them as much as we do ourselves based on whether or not we dare to go out of our way to care for their wounds, whether or not we will bear their burdens like we would our own, whether we would share with them what is rightfully our own. I want you to consider for a moment that all of us, myself included, have been the lawyer. I've been the lawyer, the person who was so committed to theological uh, profundity uh, and, and wanted to have the right answers from God's word, but, but yet was missing uh, how God perhaps wanted that to apply to his people, uh, uh, steeped in much theological knowledge, but not necessarily discipling and transferring it into the lives of others who might teach it also. Uh, I think we've all at some point uh, been the, uh, the priest a person preoccupied with the grand mission of religion, but missing the mission that was under our noses for a person that was just laying right within plain view that we were overlooking. I think we've all been the Levite at some point in our lives, a person who was an ardent defender of personal holiness, a, a, a vigilant about upholding the things of God that are sacred, but negligent in just this one area of something that was right around us that God wanted us to address. And I would hope that we would all, as a result of this message, step up to the plate and become like the Good Samaritan, a person who dares, a person who dares to, to inconvenience themselves for the sake of others. That shows what you truly treasure. A person who cares uh, for the wounds of our fellow man, even if it means I have to get my hands dirty and sometimes put myself in harm's way. That shows how much you truly treasure your neighbor. 
a person who, 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 who would share out of the, the wealth of resources. You, it doesn't say that the Good Samaritan was rich, but whatever he did had, he put some of that down. And whatever he didn't have, he was willing to, to let the other man live on some kind of credit until he came back sharing out of whatever is out, what, out of, whatever deposit the Lord has made in our life, man, are we willing to share out of that? This is the mindset, the gospel ethic of the Good Samaritan. And then, of course, will we be willing to bear the burdens of others? Will we be willing to look at the lives of those who have need around us, people that need us in some way? And can we treasure them the same way that Christ treasured us? Who, who, who would look at us and say, you know what? Real compassion is not a momentary action. It has an enduring, long-term effect in our lives. I want to challenge each and every one of us as you see how these four tests of compassion or these four treasure tests point us to the need for compassion, to not only look at people and feel deeply and intensely about the situation, but to also have another feeling that comes alongside, to feel a certain sense of responsibility to help in its alleviation. We're not asking, I'm not asking anybody to go out and try to be a substitute savior. But I do want you to understand that if you're operating under the influence of the savior, you, you, you live a life where you're looking at it through the lens of compassion. Lord, who have you put on the roadsides of my life that are right under my noses that I need to maybe inconvenience myself to go help them out? True treasure values my neighbor the same way that Christ valued me. Christ didn't value me. He didn't treasure me because I had top performance. Christ didn't treasure me because I had perfect theology. Christ didn't treasure me because I had the perfect cultural derivation like a Levite. Christ didn't treasure me because I was the most astute amongst my peers. And when it comes to uh, uh, religion, like, uh, like a priest, Christ came while we were without strength, while we were yet sinners while we were down on our luck, half beaten dead on the side of the road, Christ came. And so I ask you to consider that as your framework, as your rubric. And here is the action item that I would offer up. Pray about. Seriously consider. And when I say pray, please don't use this as a Christian form of procrastination. It's like, well, I, I haven't had peace. The Lord hadn't dropped nothing in my spirit yet for who I'm supposed to help. Man, okay, pray about. Find a person. You might not even have to pray about. There is a person on the roadside of your life who is providentially in your path that you probably walk by daily. Will you just pick one of those people and show compassion, show compassion, not just feeling for them, but feeling with them, not just, not just looking on their plight and saying, mm, 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 but also feeling some kind of way that says, you know what? I feel compelled to show compassion that actually helps to alleviate this strain in this person's life. It could be economic in nature, it could be emotional in nature, but show compassion. Don't feel obligated to have the solution totally worked out, but there is a person providentially on the roadside laying down in need who's helpless in every one of our lives. Would you be so kind as to dare to care for their wounds and to bear their burdens in a way that looks like what we see here uh, in the life of the Good Samaritan? So again, this was the treasure test, the treasure test. And um, the way I treat my neighbor is a full reflection of what I treasure. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're thankful to you for every opportunity to walk through your word. I ask that you would just kindly open our eyes to the, the person that is on the roadside of our lives that we may have overlooked. A person who, with our times, our talent, and our treasure, we need to reach into that life and do something that shows compassion. Just take the first step and let you do, Lord God, the rest of the work. Uh, Lord God, 
Help us to be people who walk in the, the same, uh, Lord God, effort and mindset that you did toward us when we were without strength. Um, Lord God, help us to be that kind of people. Show us the people in our lives that we need to, we need to um, uh, move toward like that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.